uh, four pillars of this church are learning, loving, worship, prayer. And today I want to invite you to pray with me uh, for a few situations that I'm aware of, and specifically one that comes to mind is Gary Hall lost his daughter this week. She was 35 and died of cancer. Family saw it coming for a few months now, and uh, um, she was a follower of Christ, but it doesn't take away the, the hurt, um, knowing the, the great loss that they're suffering. I ask that you would pray with me about that. And uh, Rick and Lori Turner have been keeping me up to date on Jesse and her uh, travelings in Israel, and I think today as we speak, she's in Tel Aviv and uh, enjoying an opportunity to share Christ with a family that she's been traveling with, so we're going to pray for her as well. So would you bow with me right now? God, in the midst of this beautiful time, we will not hesitate to say you are holy. Like the seraphim in heaven who scream back and forth, holy, holy, holy is our God. Father, we say that to you in song because we declare it and we believe it. You are holy and you're worthy of all our praise. So we take this time that we've just set aside to praise you and we take the time that we're setting aside in the next few minutes to study and learn about your nature and your character. But before we do that, Father, we recognize you control all things. You have authority over everything. There is nothing that was created that was not created by you. In recognition to that truth, Father, we ask that you would be a comforter and a source of strength to the whole family. Father, I can only imagine the depth of loss that Gary's feeling right now. So as a body, we come around him and and lift him up and say, Father, would you be his healer? Would you be a source of strength? And Father, we pray for Jesse Turner as she's over in Israel. And God, we ask that you give her opportunity to be bold witness for the kingdom. Uh, We think of our other missionaries, Father, Dale and Sherry Magnuson and Larry and Marla Conover. And for Rick and Sharon Bruce and for Jeannie, and for the missionaries that we stand behind, God, we lift them up to you, asking as they represent you around the world that you would be their source of strength. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me while I grab my podium. (laughs) We have... um, been, especially if you're new here, um, been studying the book of Genesis since about January. And sometime in April, I decided to, um, we, we were studying the, the account of creation back at that time, back in January, February, and March. Sometime in April, it appeared to me that it would be a really good thing to stay in the book of Genesis, but move a little bit forward into how we got to the point where we believe what we believe as a church. So we began studying the life of Abraham. And in looking at Abraham, we started all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. And here, 14 weeks later, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 24. And in Genesis chapter 24, as God's been revealing to us the things that he did in the life of this man, Abraham, the one whom he called out as his own, he's making it very evident to us that this is a man that he set aside for a specific purpose. And if you've missed a couple of weeks, I'll do my best to catch you up to speed. But roughly, Abraham traveled from an area in southern Iraq all the way to northern Iraq, a town called Haran. And he settled in the area of Haran, which we know today as present-day Turkey. 
And then God said, I want you to move into the promised land, into Israel. And so he did that. Obediently, he went to Israel. But he found himself to be a stranger in this land, a foreigner, living among a people who were pretty pagan and trying to carry a witness for God, even though he really didn't know God all that well himself. He was pretty new to this thing called faith. And so he had his trials, his times of struggle, and he went about things in a human nature. For instance, when a famine came, instead of trusting God, he vacated the promised land and went to another area in Egypt to live. And when he was challenged about his wife because she was really gorgeous, and the Pharaoh wanted her for his wife, he said, oh, she's my sister, go ahead, take her. He did some things that are inconsistent with what we would think of as a man of great faith. But he was much younger in his faith at that point in time. And as he matured in faith, it's critical for us to realize that he also began to understand that he could trust God. When God said he would do something, indeed, he would do it. Now, the period of time in which this takes place is around 1820 B.C., what we're looking at today. You might associate this with a time when the silk trade was just beginning in China. The Hyksos rulers were coming into power in Egypt. That's the period of time in which this occurred, in which we're looking at in Genesis 24. I found the best way to summarize what has happened to this point is to share Scripture with you. And you'll see it up on screen in Hebrews chapter 11. This is a summary of how Abram got to where he's at today. Look up on the screen, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10, I love this verse. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, not content with earthly places. It continues on. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And then the writer of Hebrews sums up Abram's life this way. Verse 13, All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance. You see a new phase of Abraham's life unfolding. He can see what's coming out there. Instead of dealing with the immediate that's in front of him, the pharaohs who wanted to take his wife, the rulers who stole his nephew, and he had to go back and battle for him. He can see a distant land, something further, something that God had promised. I'm impressed with Abraham at this stage in his life because of his ability to intentionally prepare for the things of God. And that's what I want to draw your attention today to as we go through Genesis 24, as you see people who are intentionally preparing for what God is about to do. Abraham's about 140 years old at this point. 
He's going to live another 35 years. He died at the age of 175. And his great concern in his life at this point in time is that he would be preparing and planning to see God be able to fulfill that which what he promised. It seems strange if you look at this chapter, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, 67 verses. It seems strange that this longest chapter tells the story of how a man got his wife. And it's a beautiful story. We're not going to take on the whole thing today. There's just way too many verses. What we find in these first 27 verses that we're going to look at is that Abraham was incredibly intentional in obeying God and preparing for a time that he would not see. We come to Genesis 24 today, recognizing that Abraham had walked in the footsteps of God for a very long time. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to Genesis 24, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. And if, uh, if you're new here, and uh, perhaps I could mention this at the same time, um, fill out one of those welcome cards while you're here today, if you would, so that we have a record of your attendance. But right next to those welcome cards, there's Bibles in the pew rack. And if you don't own your own Bible, you are welcome to take one of those with you. Let's look at Genesis 24 and verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now that's kind of an odd thing. In our culture today, we don't have those kind of issues that we would send someone off to a foreign land to choose a spouse for one of our children. This sounds kind of racist, doesn't it? But in fact, there's something else going on here. I want you to understand this word Canaanite, especially as you read the Bible, as you understand what a Canaanite was. And we have a definition up there of Kenan. That's how you would pronounce the name of the family, the Kenan family. It means humiliated. Now, you remember that Noah had three sons, Hem, Shem, and Japheth? Hem was actually pronounced Chum. And it meant one born in the tropics, son born of heat. Ham had a son by the name of Canaan. Now, why is that important to you? One day, Abraham had a little bit too much to drink, or Noah had a little bit too much to drink. He made his own grape vineyard and he created wine and he got drunk. And he laid exposed in his own tent with no clothing on him. Now, his son Ham came along and made sport of him. He made fun of him. He pointed him out to his brothers and laughed at him. And Scripture says that when Noah came out of his drunken stupor, when he awoke, he learned what his son had done. And look what he says in Genesis chapter 9. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Hanan be his servant. Now you understand why it's important to know the genealogy in the Old Testament is that the line of Shem, the one who was exalted, was the one for whom Abraham came from. 
the line that Jesus came from, from Shem. Canaan, the Canaanites, were a cursed people. Noah actually cursed his own grandson. And they became a really heathen group of people. As a matter of fact, the definition for them is a people who live without shame before God. They had no sense of God's presence. And remember, Abraham is a very wealthy man by this point. You'd put him in the Forbes 400, extreme wealth. He dictated and people obeyed. And he's got this odd request to ask his servant to put his hand under his thigh. Very odd place. I don't think I'd want to put my hand under a man's thigh. So the servant naturally enters into dialogue with him because this had a lot of significance to him. Put your place, put yourself in the place of the servant. He wants to honor this master, this very wealthy man for whom he works. He's a manager of all his goods. He's a steward of all his employees. He oversees all his possessions. And his master has given him this assignment and said, this is what I want you to do. We don't know if this is actually Eliezer that's referred to back in Genesis chapter 15. That was 50 years previously. But if this is Eliezer, he's pretty old by this point, and he's determined to be someone who's quite responsible. God said, I want you to do this for your son Isaac. So in obedience, Abram says, I want you to do this for my son Isaac. I want you to go choose a wife for him. And by the way, you're going to go 500 miles away to do it. So naturally, he enters into dialogue. Verse 5, the servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, to your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son, for my son from there. Now he discovers that he's not going to be alone in this work. He says, God will send his angel before you. I wish that each of us would learn this in our walk before God, that when God calls us to do something, we are not doing this alone. We seem to think, like Michael said this morning, that we jump out into things as though we're the only ones doing this battle. God's saying, I'm going before you to prepare a way. I'm about to show you how that actually happened in Genesis 24, that God went before him. If God's in it, he will prepare the way. That's when you know God's in it, because he allows things to come together. Let's watch that in Genesis chapter 24, verse 9 now. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. This was an ancient oriental custom of swearing a promise to someone. Now, when I was in Sunday school, the way that they approached this when I was a kid said that um, the servant placed his hand on the backside of the thigh of Abraham. Well, actually, that's inaccurate. What he had to do is put his hand on the inside of the leg and raise it all the way to the top because the Middle Eastern people recognize 
that the future of the family, the loins of the future generations, rested in the top of the thigh. And so Abraham's saying, put your hand there because you're going to make a promise to me that you will not break. Because this servant knew that vengeance would be carried out upon someone who broke such a solemn oath. This is a promise sworn to a family about the future of the family. This is how seriously they took this. I find today, as we look at this, especially for those of you who are single in this room, looking for a spouse or for a mate, that Genesis 24 has incredible principles for us. As we look at this, I want you to see some of these principles. First of all, you must want God's will. Second of all, you must pray and seek God's guidance. Third, you must be willing to obey when he reveals his will. And fourth, be alert to what God is doing. Those are the four things you're going to see unfold in this, especially for those of you who are in the mate-seeking stage. Watch and see how God unfolds this. Now, this guy, this servant, this manager of all this estate knows women really well, and he knows fathers of the brides. He knows what dad wants. So he goes to Abraham's garage, and he selects ten hummers. He gets his ten hummers, and he drives to Best Buy, and he loads them up with goods. And then he goes to Home Depot, and he loads them up with goods. And then he goes to Cabela's, and he loads them up with goods. Okay? And then he drives 500 miles, except for the fact that he's taken a camel. But he took the best hummers of the day. Okay? Now, I don't know what you know about camels, but they travel somewhere around 25 miles a day at a slow pace. You can make them really scoot for a short distance. But the typical human can only walk about 20 miles a day, let alone the fact that they're in a desert. He's got to go 500 miles. He's got all these attendants with him and guards of these possessions that he's traveling through the desert with. So this is a pretty big caravan. And he's going to go for about a month, 500 miles through the desert, taking all these goods because he's being very intentional about doing what his master had called him to do. Imagine today if I said to you, you know what? One of my sons needs a wife. I'm going to give you the keys to my car, and I want you to drive to Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee, about 500 miles. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. just want you to find the right one, the perfect one, the only one, and don't come back until you've done it. That's a big request, isn't it? Even if you could just drive in a day's time down there, it's a huge request. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Now notice, Abraham does not give him the big plan. He doesn't tell him how to do it. He trusts this man of influence the steward of all his goods, to come up with his own plan to get the job done. I personally look for people like that in my life. I don't know about you, but I look for problem solvers. There's enough people out there who can find problems for you. They're a dime a dozen. But problem solvers, this is true servant leadership. This guy's really taking the bull by the horns and saying, I'll come up with a plan. How would you do it? How would you go about this task? This is a big job, and it's his master, the one whom he regards. Let's see how he did it. 
Now the daughters of this city are arriving at the well when we pick it up in verse 11. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of this city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. This guy wants the best. He will not settle for second best. How do I know that? Look at that phrase. May she be the one whom you have appointed. He's not going for the one that he chooses. He's going for the one that God wants. Very deliberate and intentional. May she be the one whom you have appointed. God's choice is always the best choice. Never second class. Now this is a man expecting God to do work. As you watch him. He doesn't go into this situation saying, well, the whole job's up to me. I've got to come up with a system. I can see if this guy in his younger years, a less mature, experienced guy, would have gone into the city and bought airtime on the local radio waves. Or perhaps he would have been putting posters up around town. Hey, I got the heir to the, to the realm of Abraham here. This isn't like the servant who's got the glass slipper looking for Cinderella, and he's not going to every woman in the kingdom to see which one fits the slipper. This is a man who's very intentional. How different is his method from that of which the world goes about when they're selecting a mate? He puts it all on God. This is not some type of Hollywood romance. Now, when this caravan comes into the city, what's the first thing that this guy does? He's not getting a coin out of his pocket and flipping it up. Uh, Heads, Caesar. Oh, man. Flipped up again. Oh, Pharaoh on this side. No, that's not it. That's not how he's doing this. What does he do? He prays while praying. Immediately, God was sending the answer. Let me share this verse with you from Isaiah. How quickly God responds to our prayers. This is from Isaiah 65, 24. And it will also come to pass that before they call, before they pray, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. This guy took God at his word. He really believed if I put it out there before God, he's going to do something with us. While praying, God was sending the answer. Look at the depth of this guy's request. Do you pray this specifically? God, here I am. I'm standing in front of this spring of water. You see that in that verse? Here I am. I'm standing right by this well of water. The girls, they're all coming out to draw water, God. Are you that specific with God? God, here I am. I am unemployed. Do you see this? God, here I am. My child, their life is so messed up. Do you see what they're doing, God? Are you that specific? God is your friend, and he expects you to be conversational with him. That's what you see here. This man is being conversational. And he ends it by saying something very specific. May she be the one 
whom you have appointed. Months and months of observation may not have revealed what he needed to see. Watching the girls to look for their character and their nature may not have unfolded what he wanted to see in a bride who would be fit for Isaac. So he comes up with a plan. This is like a reality show. This isn't, this isn't uh, on the same caliber as uh, Big Brother or perhaps Amazing Race. This is even better than that. You could make a story for Hollywood out of this about what unfolds because he's asking for something that is so huge that in our modern standards we don't understand this. What did he say? He said, May the one who is for Isaac offer me a drink of water from her jar, and when she lets her jar down, may she also offer to water my camels. You know that a camel can consume 40 gallons of water? Can you imagine after a trek in the desert? How many camels does this guy have? Ten. 400 gallons of water. Okay, let's cut it in half. Let's say she only had to haul 200 gallons of water. Is that a big request? God, I want you to be really specific so that I understand that what you're doing here is very clear to me. Watering 10 camels is no easy job. And that day you might assume that she would say to this guy, sure, I'll share a little water with you, but to water your camels also? Give me a break. 200 gallons of water? Have you seen the wells in the Middle East? You've seen pictures of it? Some of you have traveled to the Middle East. We have a picture of a well in the Middle East. See how small that hole is and the little pail next to it? Maybe two to three gallons at a time. What you may not realize is that those usually sit at the bottom of some steps. Usually way down low, they have to climb down a hill or down a set of steps. Guys, try this. Try going to Starbucks this week. Ask a girl that you see to give you a drink of her drink. And then have ten friends with you and say, can you also water my ten friends as well? Yeah, I know, you're thinking in your mind, he's crazy. That's the equivalent of what's going on here. Can you give water to my entire caravan, all my servants, my camels? And what does she do willingly? Look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little from your water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, while this woman's beauty, and that's emphasized by the writer here, her beauty was unmatched. While his beauty that he saw in his eyes, her beauty in his eyes, may have overwhelmed him, it wasn't her beauty that he was looking for. What does he do? He lets the entire plan play out. He doesn't just respond by the fact that she's the daughter of part of Abraham's family. He doesn't just respond by her beauty. He lets the whole thing play out. And remember, the spring is outside the city. You can understand if she would have said, get your own water. 
That isn't the way she responds. Verse 19. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When this facility was offered to us last year to launch a brand new church, and I shared it with a few of my friends, they gazed in silence. Wow. What is God up to? Who does that? Only God does that kind of thing. No wonder this servant is gazing at her in silence. I would have done it too. Now, what's he doing? If we stopped right there, we could have thought he's gazing at her in silence because here's a young lady who's willing to work super hard. I'm sure he was overwhelmed with that. But what's the next step? To see whether God had made his journey successful. Verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. I don't know if you've weighed shekels lately, or if you happen to know how much that is. A shekel of gold is about one quarter of an ounce. So this girl, she's getting a ring that's worth about $375 and bracelets that are worth about $3,600. She's getting her bling on. Do you think he's got her attention? What's the way to a woman's heart? Jewelry. Okay? Now, he's found a beautiful woman who's humble, who's willing to serve, who's from the line of Abraham's family, not a Canaanite, and she expected nothing. And then he brings out the bling. What do you think is going through her heart at this time? Wow, I can't wait to show my girlfriends. Look at this. This is great. God prepared the way down to the very detail. When you are intentional on behalf of God, he is intentional on behalf of you. He wants to pull details together that he's orchestrating. But you have to be in sync with him. This is the girl. Look with me at verse 26. How does he respond? Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me... The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. This girl's gracious, humble, obviously incredibly athletic. She must be a marathon runner. She's running back and forth to bring this water up. And she's the one. 
in the middle of the desert, she's willing to run and hustle. I learned a couple lessons as I watched this unfold in the last couple weeks as I've been studying this. Let me share a few of them with you. First of all, I found that this servant sought to obey God. Abraham sought to obey God, and he passed the order on to his servant. He sought to obey God. He was true in his faith, and true faith always results in obedience. If you're true to your faith, you're going to obey. The more you meditate upon God's word, the more he's going to reveal to you what he wants you to do. Second thing I found, this servant was not impulsive. He didn't just come to a snap judgment. He stood back, he watched, and he let God do what he was going to do without intervening. The third thing I found is more of a question for you. Who's watching you? Rebecca had no idea what was unfolding and that she was being watched for this reason, that she was about to be named the wife of, of the heir of the Abrahamic fortune just because she was willing to show some hospitality. Who's watching you in the way that you walk before God? Every day, people, I think you would be shocked to know, people who are watching you to see how you walk before God. The fourth thing I found had more to do with Abraham about how deliberate he was And I want to show that to you from going all the way back to Genesis 18. Seven weeks ago, we were in Genesis 18. Do you remember when Abraham begged before God that Ishmael would be the one to receive the inheritance? And God said, no, not Ishmael. I have chosen Isaac. Let me refresh you with this verse, Genesis 18. For I have chosen him in order that what? in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Why is that important? If Isaac had been paired with just any old individual, a Canaanite, a woman from another country, whom they had no relationship with, one who had no regard for God, what would life be like in Isaac's household as he's trying to train up his children to follow God? God was that intentional 20 years previously when this girl was born to say, I'm preparing a way. So in turn, Abraham was incredibly intentional. You will not take my son back there. He will not leave the promised land. You will not choose a daughter for a wife for my son, a daughter-in-law for my family from the Canaanites. Because God said, this will be a family who will chase after the things of God. That is not to be taken lightly. So Abraham was incredibly intentional. How was he intentional, though? He was intentional based upon what God had shown him. The revelations that God revealed to him in his word were the basis for Abraham's actions. If you are not in God's word, there there is no way you can know what God intends for you. 
You react based on the revelation of what God shows you. He reveals it to you in his word. I found that very powerful. The servant sought to obey God. The servant was not impulsive. Who's watching you? And Abraham was intentional on behalf of God. Those are four things you can carry with you this week, especially this one. Who's watching you? Consider that today. To get ready for where we're going next week, I'll give you a little advance. Um, There was 27 verses here. We couldn't possibly, I mean, 67 verses. We couldn't get through them all. So if this week between now and next Sunday, you take the time to read the rest of Genesis 24, it'll help you get caught up to speed on where we're headed. You take a minute and pray with me, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, you've revealed truth to us this morning through your word, and we want to be intentional on behalf of your kingdom. So, Father, help us to remember these things that we've studied this morning. We step out of this building now into a beautiful Sunday, a gorgeous afternoon here in Michigan. Be with us, Father, in the things that we do. And as we step into our workaday world tomorrow, help us to be bold on behalf of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have a great week.